Good morning, church. It's great to be with all of you guys today. Th that first song, you know, I like to think, you know, so we worked at, thank you, Bobby. I appreciate it. Give Bobby a round of applause. Um, I love what the line in that song says, let there be peace, let it start in me. Let there be peace, let it start in me. And that's exactly what we're gonna be talking about today because it's the second week of Advent. So we are talking about hopefully embodying, taking a look at the light that Jesus brought known as the light of peace, which is exactly who he was and who he is calling us to be. Let there be peace, let it start in me. Um, you know, Wednesdays are a little crazy for me. You know, Wednesday, we've got Wednesday night church. Maybe they're crazy for you too, right? Because you're going to work, you're getting, waiting for the kids to get home, trying to figure out what to do for dinner. And like many of you, the thing that brings me peace on Wednesday is knowing I am getting Chick-fil-A, baby. I mean, going through the Chick-fil-A line, getting some, the Lord's chicken on Wednesday, like, it is peace. When you take a bite with the number one, with the lemonade, Chick-fil-A sauce. I mean, it is, there's nothing more peaceful about that. Well, this Wednesday, I was in line, getting Chick-fil-A, and there was a problem. Everybody decided to go to Chick-fil-A at the same time. And so the line is, you know, wrapped around Target, and <laughs> we're, I, I'm finally getting closer to where, you know, you have to decide which line you're gonna go into. Um, but the car in front of me can't make up their mind. There's a whole car, you could fit a whole car in front of it, and instead of going to the left, and instead of going to the right, it's like hanging back, and I'm sitting there, because we sat there for you know, a little bit, and I was getting so frustrated, and so, I mean, it's Wednesday before church. I'm in a hurry, kids are gonna start getting here, I've gotta hustle, we gotta get back. I mean, I was trying to get things moving, and this car was not moving. Like, if you just pulled up like three feet, then I could get around you, I could get in the line, and they weren't doing that. And I was getting so frustrated. Like I had my hand on the horn and I was ready to honk. I was like, no, we're at Chick-fil-A. No, we're at Chick-fil-A. God, you would frown upon this. So I, I, I didn't honk the horn, but I couldn't like, finally they pulled up. I pull around the other side. And you, I mean, you all know, you always choose the wrong line. Like, oh, I'm gonna go in this one because it's gonna be faster. And the other one is always faster. Well, I chose right this time. Thank you, Jesus. And I get in the right lane, and I didn't like smirk at the person next to me because like I didn't want them to know how I actually felt, but I was fuming over the 32 second delay that they were causing me. And so I drive past them, my heart is throwing shade at them, and the line's moving forward, and I, I get past the car that I was so angry of, and I'm getting ready to order. I get a knock on the window in the line at Chick-fil-A. Like the people weren't out taking orders this day. It was like too chilly. And so I'm like, a knock on the window and I'm surprised. And you might know this family. It was Wesley Heinzelman. And they used to go to our church. He knocks on the door and I'm shocked to see a random student knocking on my window and I roll down the window. He takes a Chick-fil-A gift card, chucks it into my car, have a good day, and sprints back to his vehicle who was in line, and I'm like, what? I'm just so thrown off by this. And I look in my mirror, I didn't even have time to reply, and of course he goes in the vehicle that I was just so angry and mad at. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, okay. All right, well, here's what I learned. My pace, being in a hurry, 
was making me angry. But Katie Heinzelman's pace, who was driving the other car, slow enough to notice who was around her, turned into a blessing for me that day. My pace made me frustrated. Her pace made her a blessing. Today, I want us to talk about our pace. I want us to talk about our pace and specifically how it affects our peace. Because if you're like me, it's holiday season. Like, I know Black Friday shopping has already happened, but I mean, between waiting in lines or I was on the phone on hold for 30 minutes the other, I mean, there are so many things that make us so frustrated because we just want to go. We're always in a hurry. We're always trying to hustle. We're always trying to, and we're even willing to kind of push people out of the way in order to do it because we're always in a hurry. But when we get in a hurry, I believe it disrupts our peace. And this message is a little bit difficult for me today because typically, uh, this is just good preacher, pastor advice, that when you're going to preach something, it's always going to come across better in a way. It's always going to be more effective if you've already lived what you're preaching, if you've already experienced, if you've already grown in, if you've already struggled with but overcome. And the reason that like I'm really excited and not very excited at the same time to preach today because I'm not very good at this. My hand is always on the horn looking to push people, looking to move forward, looking to get people out of the way for the sake of progress. I'm not very good at this today. But what I want you to do, uh, just to give all of us the best chance of maybe possibly walking away with something today, I want you to pull out your phone, I want you to pull out your notebook. I do this every time, you know this, I get on my students about this. Allison's already pumping her phone up, she already had it ready to go. And I want you to take notes today because that's just going to give us the best chance to walk out of something, hearing from a preacher who is still working on the things that we're going to talk about in our text today. And the title of today's sermon is called The Pace of Peace. The Pace of Peace. We're going to be in Luke chapter 3 today, and then we're also going to look at chapter 8 a little bit later. But Luke chapter 3, and we're going to talk about the pace of peace. So if you all would stand with me, please, as we read God's word today. And we're going to read our, our text that will launch us into today's story. This is Luke chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, and it's John the Baptist we're going to be reading about here. John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, he says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley should be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough places made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. You may be seated. When I think of Jesus, yeah, yeah, I think of 
I think of peace. Now, you think of a lot of things when you think of Jesus. It's the second week of Advent. Yeah, we're going to focus on peace. But when I think of Jesus, I really do think of peace. And you think of the manger scene. Like, you've never driven by a manger scene and thought how disruptive that looks, right? Like, you drive by it and you go, aw. Or, or, you know, you just reflect. Like, there is a peaceful sense about it, right? When you think about sweet little baby Jesus. But you also think about peace on the other spectrum of Jesus' life, and that's he went to the cross. He died for our sins, and that when we surrender our lives to him, asking for the forgiveness of our sins, do you know what he does? He gives you an unimaginable peace in your life. So from the beginning all the way to the end of Jesus' life, we've bookended it with this picture of peace, but what I think we forget to do is We don't just want to look at Jesus as the picture of peace. We want to embody and live out peace. Yes, in the forgiveness of our sins, but yes, in everything that we do along the way. And so what I really want us to do today is what John the Baptist is doing. And John the Baptist was preparing the way for the life of Jesus because he was going to embody a life of peace as well. I mean, he, he kinda, you kind of hear that a little bit, right, where, where John the Baptist, and let's be honest, like, if you know or have heard of John the Baptist and are familiar with him, you know he's not the first person you think of when you think of peace. Like, you think of, like, old, raggedy, like, like rough around the edges a little bit, like he lived in the wilderness, ate weird food, dressed really funny, like, he was thought of as kind of a strange character, especially for somebody who's going to be leading the way, but the prophet Isaiah He thought he was a likely contender to prepare the way for the Prince of Peace and almost make things more palatable for what Jesus was going to be doing for the people around there. I mean, you listen to the things that he's going to do, that he is going to make straight paths for Jesus, that every valley will be filled in, that every mountain will be made low, that the crooked roads will be made straight, rough places made smooth. This is what John the Baptist was doing because he wanted Jesus to have the least amount of resistance when he was going to go into the world to bring peace. And it's not that I don't think John the Baptist did a bad job. John the Baptist did exactly what John the Baptist was supposed to do. But I have a hard time looking at Jesus's life and thinking, man, he had it so easy. Like it was just a, it was a breeze for him. Like he never faced any trouble. He never faced any trial. He didn't come across anything that would throw off his peace. Because pretty much every story you read in the Bible about Jesus feels like a valley or a mountain or a crooked road or a rough edge. And I want to think, did you really do your job, John? But he did. Jesus just saw all of those things a little differently than you and I did. All of those, yes, well, at least for me, would be enemies of peace. Let's go ahead. Let's look at some of the, all the crazy things that Jesus did that could have been enemies of his peace. Here's some of the things that Jesus did. Um, he took care of demon possession, blindness, lepers, eternally sick, having to feed thousands of people from just a few pieces of bread and fish, clearing fevers, enabling the mute deaf to hear, raising people from the dead, calming storms, hearing paralytics, restoring withered hands, feeding thousands of more people on another count, and I could go on. He approached all of those things. He combated all of those enemies of peace, and there were unpeaceful situations for the people, but I'd like to imagine that, you know, those were difficult and unpeaceful situations for Jesus as well. Those were enemies of Jesus's peace. 
And I don't like to think about what it would have been like to combat those enemies. Well, let me just, I'll be maybe too transparent. That's been the theme the last few weeks, right? If you've been in service, I'll be a little too transparent with you today, but... Like if these were on, you know, I was called in the ministry when I was in between my senior and senior year of high school and freshman year of college is when I really narrowed down that God was calling me to be a pastor. And if you would have said that even a fraction of those things that Jesus was going to face, I was going to be facing in my ministry, like I'll just be honest, I would say, "Eh, I I don't know. Like if we were all on a desert island together, if I can be honest, and like you came to me with like, some fish and some loaves of bread, like, I just, we'd starve, like, we'd, we'd be in trouble. Um, that, that would be very unpeaceful and unpleasant for me. But Jesus combated all of those, and yet at the same time, that wasn't the biggest enemy of Jesus' peace. Did all those miracles, did all those things, and none of those were the biggest enemy of Jesus' peace. And you might have some enemies of peace as well. Let, let me be more honest about an actual enemy of my peace. And I somehow find a way of talking about this every Sunday. And I don't know how, but I'm just going to continue the trend. Where, so I got home from work on Monday, and Faith, you know, She's 37 weeks pregnant, she's tired, she's exhausted after teaching all day. So when she gets home, she rightfully just has to catch her breath on the couch, right? Now I get home from work, and the first thing that I see is I look at the sink and I look at the counter and I see dirty dishes, and I think, all right, time to get to work, time to clean this up. And Faith is looking at me from the far corner of the living room and can see me looking at the dishes, and without me saying a word, she's just like, well, get it later. Just come over here. Because she just, she just wants a moment before we cook dinner, before we continue on the rest of our evening. Let's just relax for a second, okay? She's had a long day. That's what she wants. And my reply to her, whether it was appropriate or not, I'll be honest, I said, if you want us to enjoy our time together, you're going to let me clean this for 10 minutes so that I'm at peace when we're together. Because think, I'd be sitting next to her and all I could be thinking about is the dirty dishes and like how dirty, and really there was like nine things, but it was enough to drive me crazy. And so I took like just a few minutes, I cleaned the dishes, and then we were present with one of that. Dishes are an enemy of peace to me. Yeah, we're getting real today. Mm-hmm. Dishes are an enemy of peace to me. And I don't know what your enemy of peace is. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a deadline. Maybe it's a homework assignment. I was kind of painfully laughing with Andy Vogelman a few days ago as we were trying to set up a time to get together for lunch or some food. And he goes, well, well. I've got 6 a.m. lifting, and I could just hear the enemy of peace that that was disrupting in his life for baseball, that he has to wake up at 6 a.m. and go lift. That'd be an enemy of my peace, too. Maybe it's COVID has been an enemy of peace. Maybe your circumstances, fill in the blank. We all have enemies of peace, things that are stealing peace from us, that are disrupting any sense of peace that we wish that we had. And if because we're the church, I'd, I do want to be a little more honest here that it's not just our external circumstances, but the decisions we make can cause a lack of peace and disrupt our peace as well. The vices in our life can sabotage our peace. 
whether it's decisions that you and I make, whether it's the temptations that we fall into, whether it's sins that we have committed, can sabotage our peace. And we can't ignore that. We have to own that. All of us have an enemy of peace. But the biggest enemy of our peace, I don't think is any of the enemies that we can name. I think it's the enemy that we're unaware of. It's the enemy in our lives that our enemy, Satan, the father of lies, has tricked all of us into believing. And it's sabotaging our peace. The biggest enemy of our peace, I believe, is our pace. The hurry, the hustle, the biggest enemy of our peace is our pace. You don't believe me, but I'm gonna show you here in a second. We, going back to the Chick-fil-A line, going back to anything that we do, we are moving so fast as a society and all that we do that we are perpetually unsettled and uneasy and without peace because the biggest lie that we are believing is that we always have to be in a hurry, that if we're gonna get more done, even for good things, even for right reasons, that we have to go, 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 that we have to do this, we have to do that, we fill our schedules, we get so busy, we move so fast from one thing to the next, the honking at people in line, like whatever it is, we move so fast, we get so busy, and we become so so unsettled that it is stealing our peace. We are people of, hey, what is the zero to 60 mile an hour speed? What, you know, zero to 60, how fast? Oh, what's the 100 meter dash? Oh, or what about the 40 yard dash, right? Like all of the, like we are people of speed in everything that we do. Nobody asked you how slow you went. They wanna know how fast you went. For example, this, this is just how wired we are. This, is, this happened not thinking about anything that we we're going to be talking about today. This was just normal human nature, and it happens to fit. But Pastor Rick and I had a good time this week. On Wednesday, we decided to go to lunch together. You notice all like the hurry in my life revolves around food, like the dishes because of the food that I ate or, you know, Chick-fil-A. So just don't get in the way of me and my food. So, um, so Rick and I are gonna go out to lunch, and I said, hey, I'll drive, because then I, can, I have power to dictate where we go to lunch. So um, I said I'll drive, but I forgot my keys when I came down to Rick's office. So I was like, oh no, I have to go back and get my keys. And immediately, Rick pulls his phone out, and he goes, I'll time you. And like, that works for five-year-olds and 27-year-olds, because immediately, I threw my jacket off, and I lined up, and I was like, tell me when. And I was gonna sprint back to my office back here, grab my keys and run back. And that, without hesitation, that's exactly what we did. And I don't, I don't mean to brag, but 23 seconds. So after, after church, if you wanna race me. Oh, wow. That's impressive, man. I was not prepared for that. Yeah, I'm so fast, I'm not even on camera. Oh, I'm coming back, don't worry. <laughs> there you go, folks. There you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was incredible, man. You're good. We live at that pace. We thrive on that pace. And the ironic thing about it is we all secretly hate it. We brag about it in one breath and then despise it in the next. We love the pace of our hurry and our hustle. 
in a way, our 100 mile an hour pace, you know, going from one thing to the next, it's like a self-validating feedback loop for us where we're all secretly yet dreadfully competing for a pace that inflates our ego but deflates our peace. And the reason I know this is true is because we do it with other things also. Like when I ask Faith, hey, you want some ice cream? I am not in that moment being a loving husband and actually seeing if she wants ice cream. I'm wanting her to validate the fact that I feel good about how I'm getting ice cream for her and me so that I don't feel guilty about the ice cream that I really want. You know what I'm saying? We do the same thing with our pace. We do the same thing with our pace. Where we're secretly like, oh yeah, so I got so much going on, I just don't know. Where we wear it as a badge of honor and yet it just is so painful at the same time. Our pace is killing our peace. Our pace is killing our peace. The peace that we experience personally, and this is where I want to go today, but also the peace, also the peace that we hope to extend to others. It's killing our opportunity to offer peace to those around us. The biggest enemy of our peace is our pace. And Jesus knew this. You might not believe me, Jesus knew this And it's why he lived his life, his pace, to counter how you and I as a culture are living today. And if you don't believe me, we're going to look in Luke chapter 8 at just a story of Jesus where he is going to combat this enemy of peace because he knows that the only way to have peace is to slow down his pace. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, and I want to read this story to you. I want us to dissect it a little bit, then we're going to close But I want you to just, I want us to slow down. I want us to listen to this because this is good. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. It'll be on the screen as well. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then then a man named Jairus, everybody say Jairus. A synagogue leader came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, okay, hit pause. Jairus. Jairus is feeling this unimaginable feeling. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. And he knew, you know, credit to him, who he needed to go to. So he goes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he's begging and he's pleading. And you can all feel the sense of urgency in Jairus's heart. I, I personally cannot imagine what Jairus was feeling. But Jairus comes to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, we have an emergency. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. I need you to come. Like, if there, is, if there is like urgency level, like this is, this is top level urgency, where we need people to hurry, where we need that ambulance to just bolt out. So you can feel his urgency, but what Jesus, and it kind of bothers us, what, what Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't get on a horse, he doesn't sprint, Jesus continues on his way. Now he's, he's, he's headed that direction, but he says, okay, Jairus, I'll be over there. And he continues. Well, we want, he should have gotten on a horse. He should have gone as fast as he can. I mean, really the only animal that we have that Jesus recorded that Jesus rode was a donkey. And you know a donkey ain't running. In fact, donkeys walk the exact same pace as a human. And that's the only thing that Jesus rode in on. Jairus 
is feeling the pressure. He wants Jesus to get moving. Let's keep moving in the scripture. It says, and the crowds almost crushed him. So there's lots of people around Jesus. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked, maybe not that aggressively. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. There's so many people here. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me. I know that power, or some translations say virtue, has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at his feet. So once again, somebody's coming at his feet, but I, I think the word trembling is intentional there, not just because everybody took notice of her, but she had been sick for 12 years. I mean, think of how her body felt. Think of what had been going on. I mean, she had to be so weak and so tired that, that all she could do was tremble before Jesus' feet, and we're gonna get back to that. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now I need you to put yourself in these shoes for a minute. And by these shoes, I mean Jairus' shoes. He has to be absolutely livid. If you were a parent, if you were Jairus in this situation, you come to Jesus, your 12-year-old daughter is dying. And so Jesus, instead of getting on a horse, continues to meander on his way, you know, that direction. But then he literally stops, turns around, and pays attention to the person behind him. He has a conversation with her. How are you doing? What's going on? I mean, he he stops everybody so that they can focus in and figure out what's going on with this lady. And he heals her. And this is this is what's so great about this. You see, the, the woman had been sick for 12 years with this blood disease. So as we said earlier, she was trembling. She was so tired. She was so weak that if Jesus would have bolted from this situation, got on a horse, ran any scenario other than the pace that he was going, Jesus, this girl, never would have had a chance to touch Jesus because it said she touched him from behind, which means she was trying to catch up to Jesus. So if Jesus took off, this lady would have just been left in the dust. But he was going so slow, his pace was so slowed down that even this lady who had been sick for 12 years was able to catch up and touch her. Because of the pace of Jesus's peace, this lady is now going in peace. And Jesus' pace is not the pace that you and I have so often. We would have bolted off. We would have gone. We would have responded to the urgent. But Jesus just knew there's a different way to go here, and it's at the pace of peace. But let's go back to Jairus, because we still have a really angry, frustrated, rightfully so, parent in this situation. But he continues in verse 49. Listen to this. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. If Jairus wasn't frustrated before, 
you can only imagine he's frustrated now. That because Jesus, this is why we don't like this pace, is because it's not on our timeline. We think it messes things up. And, and Jairus is livid right now. If you would have just ran, if you would have just hurried, if you would have just left her behind, if you would have just got on a horse, this wouldn't have happened, Jesus. If you would have picked up the pace and left them behind, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here right now. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. A woman with the issue of blood for 12 years and a 12-year-old girl who is dying. They might have passed each other in the hospital. And Jesus, in the same timing, because of his pace, heals them both. The scripture continues. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, convinced they're... Jesus, I, you should have hurried. I know better. You took your time. They knew that she was dead, the scripture says, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. They couldn't believe that this just happened. But he ordered them to, tell, to not tell anyone what had happened. Folks, the pace of Jesus is the pace of peace. The pace of Jesus is the pace of peace. Think about it. 30 years of preparation for Jesus, that he prepared himself for 30 years to finally do what he was gonna do. And then after 30 years of preparation, going back to John the Baptist, who was the one who was preparing the way for him, what happens? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, which is, that's his commissioning, right? Like it's, it's go time, Jesus is ready to go. Like he is filled with the spirit and things are about to get unreal. And then Jesus takes a sabbatical and goes in the desert for 40 days and slows down. You're like, Jesus, come on. Like this, you're supposed to get going. No, no, no. The pace of Jesus is the pace of peace. That he knew if he was gonna usher in what he needed to, it was gonna require him to go against the cultural norm, which meant he was gonna slow down. He fulfilled every messianic prophecy in three years and never ran to his next appointment. If you needed to fulfill everything that God had called you to do and said, hey, you got three years to do it, we would have an, like an IV bag full of caffeine and we'd be taking it with us everywhere that we go. Like we, we would be taking all sorts of stuff to keep us going, to keep us alive, to keep us moving, to keep our pace up because there's gonna be not gonna be enough time to do all of this. And Jesus is just saying, slow down. Slow down. Because the pace of Jesus is the pace of peace. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, and I love this. Our Lord Jesus Christ was never in a hurry. It's marvelous to contemplate the leisure of the greatest worker who ever lived. He always moved along with a holy calm and quiet dignity, and he therefore did everything well. 
Dallas Willard adds on to that by saying you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. When was the last time you tried that? No, 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 the last time you slowed down, you missed an assignment. The last time you slowed down, it didn't go so well. I'm not just talking about your schedules. Yes, maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's, you know, maybe we need to spend less time on fantasy football. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's something in your life that you filled your life with so much. But more than that, it's just slowing down our pace, taking notice of the people around us. Because while we think we're doing the righteous thing by picking up our pace, we have no idea who we're leaving behind us, that God wanted us to just slow down. Band, you can go ahead and come up. You know, in this Advent series, one of the things that we're focusing on, I'll say one of the things that we believe is that Jesus came as the light of the world. And he wants that same light to live in us. And so we talked about, you know, the Holy Spirit who has come, who lives in us, enables us to be a light of hope. This is the first candle that we lit. We want to be a light of hope to everybody around us, that we want that light to shine bright, that we want that light to be clear and obvious. We want to share it with the world around us. We want to bring light to the darkness. And we're, we're going to sing about that in our last song too. But, but today I want to talk about the light of peace. Because something's really interesting about the light of peace. That this too we want to embody, represent, we want everyone to see the light of peace in us. But there's a problem. Some of us need to slow down our pace. You see, because when we go from one appointment to the next, and when we go over here, and then we go from this person to that person, and then we're doing all these things, and we're moving so fast, our light goes out. And everybody that we interact with, and ourselves included, we don't have that light anymore because we're moving so fast. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be peace, if you want to experience peace, if you want to share it with others, you need to check your pace. Maybe your pulse too. Like, you know, after I ran, I couldn't breathe. I'll just be honest. <laughs> you need to check your pace. Now, for some of you, this is a personal thing. Are you saying... Pastor Jay, I can't even tell you the last time I felt peace in my life. Like if you wouldn't believe all of the circumstances going on, you wouldn't believe what I've been diagnosed you wouldn't believe everything going on around me. And you're right, I can't believe that and I'm sorry. But what you need to do is slow down and commit yourself to Jesus and he will reignite that light of peace in your life. You still need to slow down. Jay, I don't have enough time. You need to make time. You need to make time. There's nothing more important. And Jesus will fill you with the light of peace like you've never experienced before. That's what some of you need. And some of you, I see the light of peace. You embody it really well. But my question for you is, here you're still, you're quiet, you've, you've taken a Sabbath, you've come to church, you've slowed down. But when the work week starts, does your pace exceed your peace? 
Are there people around you who are looking at you and your light is just a blur or in fact it's gone out because you're moving so fast and you're not paying attention to anything around you, anybody around you? We need to be the light of peace this season. So what do we need to do? We need to check our pace. We need to check our pace. The last song that we're gonna sing is called Tremble. It says, peace, peace, bring it all to peace. The fear surrounding me. And, and really what it's getting at, it is saying, if you are looking to experience peace, if you are looking to be a light in the darkness, you're gonna get that from Jesus. There's no other way than from Jesus. And so what I want you to happen today is I want us to slow down and I just want us to absorb and, and accept and experience the light of peace today so that we can go from here to continue to share the light of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to just hit pause on everything going on. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in this moment because it's through your Spirit that we have access to and gain the light of peace. And we all have dark situations. We live in a dark world. There is darkness that surround us and the only way to break through is with your light, Jesus. So God, we surrender ourselves to you today. Bring us peace and we give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand with me and let's worship.